turn in the Holy Scriptures to Isaiah chapter 11. Tonight we consider one more prophecy of the Messiah, Old Testament Christmas promise. After the bulletin was printed, I made a few changes, and one of those changes is shortening the text. So the text we're going to consider tonight is just the first verse, rather than verses 1 through 5. We'll read the whole chapter together. Isaiah 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again, the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, and from Egypt, and from Pathros, and from Cush, and from Elam, and from Shinar and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river, and shall smite it in the seven streams, and make men go over dry shod. And there shall... And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came out, that he came up out of the land of Egypt. 
we read thus far, I call your attention to verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Beloved in the Lord, this ancient prophecy sets before us God's gracious provision of one of our deepest needs and deepest desires. That is our need for a king and a desire for a kingdom. God created us as human beings to inhabit a kingdom, his kingdom. And that desire for a kingdom is inscribed upon our very nature. As human beings, we have been created to serve a king and to live for our king. And we flourish and we prosper in the kingdom of God. The fall of humankind into sin did not erase this kingdom impulse from our human nature, but warped and twisted it so that the human race became a race of rebels going about the establishment of their own kingdom. And you see that throughout the entirety of human history. You see that in all of the movements of our world. Man desires to build a kingdom. He looks for salvation, for peace, for flourishing in a kingdom. However that kingdom is built. Every human effort to establish justice, to establish equity, to establish a flourishing society is really an effort to establish a kingdom in which man will find salvation. But as Ephesians 2 Said, as we read it this morning, man by nature is dead in his trespasses and sins. And therefore, all of his kingdom building efforts are doomed to failure. Because man seeks a kingdom established for his own glory. A kingdom apart from God. And so even though man strives and strives so hard to build a kingdom in which he will find salvation. None of his kingdoms will bring salvation. In fact, man's kingdoms ultimately end up only augmenting his own misery. The gospel news is that God gives us the king. And gives us the kingdom. And reaches down in grace to rescue us fallen sons and daughters of Adam. Who turned our backs upon our God. He reaches down and lifts us up and brings us back. To his kingdom, his kingdom which he establishes most marvelously through the coming and the work of a king who is unlike any other king. God's anointed king who is righteous, who is faithful, the prince of peace who comes to establish a new order of things. That's the promise that is woven throughout the whole Bible. And the promise that we have set forth in Isaiah 11 verse 1. The promise that we look at tonight. The promise of our king and his kingdom. Described for us using the figure of a branch that grows from the stem of Jesse. Let's look at this text then. With that as our theme. The branch 
from the stump of Jesse. I changed up the points a little bit. The first point is promised of old. This branch from the stump of Jesse is promised of old. Secondly, we'll look at the nature of his coming. The nature of his coming. And then finally, we will see fulfilled in one. This promise is fulfilled in one only, King Jesus. The branch from the stump of Jesse, promised of old, the nature of his coming, fulfilled in one. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Don't ignore the verb tenses here. You notice future. There shall come. A branch shall grow. When God uses the future tense, it means a whole lot more than when we use the future tense. We use the future tense, but we have no power to guarantee that what we say is going to happen in the future will happen. But when God uses the future tense, He is describing what will be the infallible unfolding of His eternal counsel. When God uses the future tense, He states what will come to pass. There is power whenever the word shall or will proceeds from the divine mouth. Shall. Will is the language of promise. A promise which has the faithfulness of God behind it. A promise the fulfillment of which is certain because the almighty power of the eternal God is at the disposal of this promise coming to its fulfillment and fruition. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. God's promise to his people. And it's an age-old promise. It is another form of the promise of the Messiah. We've looked at a few already this Advent season. One of the things that should strike us is just how many and how many different forms this promise appears in in the Scriptures. Indeed, the The center of the Bible, the heart of God's revelation of Himself to us, the core of His plan is the promise of the King, the Savior King. And that's who this rod, this branch is. It is the Messiah, revealed and described using the figure of a rod and a branch. And we'll look at the meaning of that in a few moments. But again, let's notice that this promise is the very center of the Bible. The Bible from beginning to end traces this promise. Traces it from the first giving of the promise in Eden. Before our first parents were sent out of Eden. There God gave the mother promise. The promise in its first giving. The promise of the coming seed who would crush the head of the serpent. And from Genesis 3.15 onward, you find over and over this promise being repeated, restated, and expanded. Revealing with increasing clarity, depth, and richness what God has prepared for His people. More and more the identity of the promised one comes to light as you read from Genesis towards Revelation. 
Clearer and clearer it becomes that this promised seed will be God in the flesh. Clearer and clearer it becomes that God in the flesh will be the suffering Savior who defeats the devil and breaks the dominion of sin by suffering and by dying. Clearer and clearer it becomes that this promised seed will be our chief prophet who brings to us saving knowledge of God. Our only high priest who offers himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins and lives ever to make intercession for us. And our eternal king who gathers us into His kingdom and rules over us by His grace and causes us to flourish beneath His benevolent rule. Our Emmanuel, as we heard last week. Now that Isaiah 11 verse 1 is another increasingly clear revelation of this central gospel promise of the coming of the Messiah is proven when you look at this text from several points of view. For one thing, you'll notice the the messianic themes and language that fills this text. The promised one here is called the rod from the stem of Jesse. And this connects the text to that central thread of Old Testament prophecy of a kingly messiah. And that central thread of Old Testament prophecy of a kingly Messiah, you can trace all the way back to Genesis. A couple weeks ago, Professor Kuiper preached on one of those first promises of a kingly Messiah. A promise that God delivered through the mouth of Jacob when he foretold that one named Shiloh would come out of Judah. Shiloh. Who would rule. Who would have the scepter. Who would be the lawgiver. And who would be a prince of peace. And that thread of prophecy continues. You find it again for example in Numbers 24.17. Where we read that. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And we see that promise becoming expanded and more clear. And then there is the form of this very same promise that is given to David in 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. Understand that whenever we encounter these promises in Scripture, it's not that God is giving a whole package of different promises. There's Genesis 3.15, and then there's Genesis 49.10, and then there's Numbers 24.17, and now 2 Samuel, 12, or 2 Samuel 7.12. But these are all the same promise with increasing clarity, fuller details, richer revelation. God said to to David in 2 Samuel 7.12, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Now as with so many Old Testament prophecies and promises, we understand that there's a type and a reality at play here. There is a typical fulfillment of that promise of God in Solomon. 2 Samuel 7 verse 12 is talking about Solomon. 
the next king of Israel who would be born to David, who would sit upon David's throne, and under whom God would establish the kingdom that was built under David's rule and bring it to its zenith, to its peak. Solomon would be known as the king of peace in whose days Israel would flourish and prosper like no other. But Solomon is not the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. Solomon points to that greater king of peace, that prince of peace, that Shiloh who is to come, Jesus Christ. And so as God goes on to say to David in 2 Samuel 7 verse 13, He shall build an house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And there you see that the promise moves beyond the type, beyond Solomon to the one that Solomon represents, the coming Messiah, who will establish, who will build the house of God. In fact, the coming Messiah will be, will be the house of God, will be the temple of God. He will be Emmanuel. And he alone will be the eternal king upon An everlasting throne whose dominion shall have no end. So you see, in the context of the rest of Scripture, we readily recognize that Isaiah 11 verse 1 is another form of this central promise that connects the coming Christ to the line of David, the royal line of David. Messiah is that branch from the stem of Jesse. And that this Davidic branch then is the Christ is also clear from the special gifts and endowments of the Spirit that will be given to him. And here we we look in Isaiah 11 at the following verses, the the close context, verses 2 through 5, which describe this coming Christ, this branch from the stem of Jesse, as one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord shall rest. And that should immediately bring to our minds Christ, because the name Christ or the name Messiah means anointed one. The promised Christ is the one anointed by God the Father with the Spirit. And verse 2 of our chapter says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And here, the point is, this Messiah King who is coming will be the perfect King. He will be endowed with every spiritual gift from on high. Such that, as verse 3 says, and shall make him Of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. Neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. The idea is he is the perfect king who knows the hearts of man. He does not judge on the basis of hearsay. Or on the basis of outward appearance. But he knows the heart. He is true. He is just. He is fair. He is righteous in all that he does. And thus verse 4 says. With righteousness he shall judge the poor. And Reprove with equity the meek of the earth. He is a king who has a special care for those who in this world are typically downtrodden. He has a care for those who are so often 
oppressed by sinners more powerful than they. And a manifestation of his justice shall be that he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. A girdle is a belt. The belt of this coming king. His belt will be righteousness and faithfulness. And you understand the imagery there. A belt was used to bind up the flowing garments that were worn by people in that day and in that part of the world to prepare them for action. The picture is this coming king, everything he does, all of his actions, every activity, the entirety of his rule and his dealings with his people shall be characterized by righteousness and faithfulness. That's the king who is promised. It can be none other than that seed promised to Adam and Eve. That seed promised to Abraham. That greater son promised to David. The one the whole Bible is about. The Christ. Lastly, we see that this Christ is promised of old. And that this text is a promise of the Christ. But by putting... By putting our text in the broader context of the book of Isaiah. Last week we looked at one of the central promises in the book of Isaiah of the coming of Christ. That was Isaiah 7 verse 14. Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But now that beautiful promise isn't sitting there all by itself. But that promise unfolds throughout the book of Isaiah itself. Isaiah, by inspiration, comes back to that virgin-born child whose name shall be Emmanuel. Comes back to it time and time again and fleshes it out with greater details. So that a couple chapters later in Isaiah 9 verse 6 we read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9 verse 6 is talking about the very same promised child as is revealed in Isaiah 7.14. And this messianic theme is picked up again in our text. The virgin-born child whose name shall be Emmanuel. The son who is given upon whose shoulders the government shall be. Who shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That child, that child is the branch from the stem, from the stump of Jesse. And you can keep on going through Isaiah. Think of Isaiah 41, 2, or rather 42, verse 1, for example. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. There's Christ. Or Isaiah 53, we all know Isaiah 53, the great Old Testament passage on the suffering Savior, but perhaps less familiar to us is the fact that there is a a verse in Isaiah 53 
Very similar to Isaiah 11 verse 1. And that's Isaiah 53 verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground. There's the coming of the Christ. Or Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. There you see that King, who is also our prophet, anointed with the Spirit. You know from the New Testament that in Luke 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue of Nazareth and he opens up the book of Isaiah to this very chapter. And he reads it and he says to the Nazarenes, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The book of Isaiah is just like the whole Bible. Christ from beginning to end. And that central promise. Age old promise. Now, let's dig deeper into the text and look at the nature. The nature of the coming of this promised one. That's especially what the figure of Isaiah 11 verse 1 sets before us. We've seen that this is a messianic prophecy. It is a promise of the coming king. It is a beautiful restatement and expansion of that one gospel promise that is at the core of the Bible. Now, what? Unique facets can we see in this diamond of promise here in our text. And there are especially two things, two parts of the nature of the coming of this promised one, the Messiah, that Isaiah 11 verse 1 highlights. Two aspects of the manner of his advent. The first is this. The Christ will come when it seems all is lost. The Christ will come when it seems all is lost. And that comes out in the word stem in our passage. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And in the Hebrew, that word stem is stump. Stump. And so children, as you read this text, or as you hear this text, don't be thinking of a beautiful flower with its stem, and there's a leaf that grows out of the stem of that flower, but think of an ugly stump. A tree that's been cut down. That's what the text is talking about. And there shall come forth a rod... Or a branch out of the stump of Jesse. What this text is saying is that the Christ will rise. Not from a kingdom. Like Solomon's kingdom. Not from Israel. In the days of its splendor and glory. But the Christ will rise from the ruins of David's house. And from the rubble of his kingdom. The stump of Jesse. 
the house of David will be reduced to a stump. You think of a grand and beautiful tree. That's what the kingdom of David was like at the height of David's power. And that tree spread out its branches over the land of Canaan. And its branches reached almost to the Euphrates River under the kingship of Solomon. It was as a glorious tree. But as we know from Old Testament history, that tree from an outward point of view was short-lived. Soon it would be hacked to pieces by the schism of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Split in two, rather. And thereafter, axe blow after axe blow would be landed upon that tree. In Isaiah's day, the kingdom of Judah was a rather sickly tree being chopped at by the Assyrian axe. The Assyrian axe that was in the chastening hand of God. On mercy, after Ahaz, who we looked at last week, God would raise up godly Hezekiah who would bring reformation, but that reformation would ultimately be short-lived. There would be deliverance from Assyria, but in the place of Assyria would become an even mightier axe. The Babylonians. And Isaiah's ministry, that sickly... During Isaiah's ministry, that sickly tree, though it would be reformed for a time, would not lose that sickness that was systemic within it. Judah was like a tree rotting from the inside and the axe of judgment was laid at the trunk. And as Isaiah foresees in his prophecies, the day is swiftly coming when that tree will be felled, cut low, By the acts of Nebuchadnezzar. And when that happens. For years. For years. It would seem as though the kingdom of David and his house vanishes. Never again would a son of David sit upon a physical throne in Jerusalem. That glorious tree. Is cut down to a stump. Seemingly just a chunk of dead wood from which nothing will come. But it's amidst the ruins of that former glory. When it appears as though the promise has failed. And God's word is undone. It is precisely then the text teaches That the promised Christ will come. That the promise will be fulfilled. For the righteous God is faithful. And by His grace and by His power, He preserves. He preserves. God had said to David in 2 Samuel 7.14 about the son that would be born to him. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men. Now we clearly understand That 2 Samuel 7 verse 14 is a verse that only applies to the type and not to the reality. For Jesus Christ would commit no iniquity. But the chastisement of our peace would fall upon him. But Solomon and the house of David would be chastened with the rod of man. God went on to say in verse 15 of that same chapter, but my mercy shall not depart away from him. 
that age-old promise will not come to naught. Even when by all appearances it has, it really hasn't. From the stump of Jesse, a branch will sprout. When the kingdom and house of David are reduced to rubble, when the stump of Jesse looks like nothing but dead wood, still there are its roots hidden in the soil beneath. And in that rootstock there is still life. And in the fullness of time, from the ruins the king will rise. From the stump of Jesse, a shoot will sprout. And from the root of Jesse, a branch shall grow. From seeming death springs life. That's the nature, that's the manner of the promised one's coming. And that's God's way of working, isn't it? When we looked at Isaiah 7.14, we, we noticed God is pleased to do the impossible because it magnifies His glory and His power. And this prophecy, this promise, brings out a similar application along those same lines. This is God's choice way of working, which highlights His glory, His power, and magnifies His faithfulness. God brings things to a dead end in order that He might fulfill His word precisely there at the dead end. God brings things to a dead end so that He might call life out of death. That's His way. That's His choice way of working and fulfilling His promises. When every human resource is exhausted, His all-sufficient power manifests itself to bring forth victory out of utter and seemingly irreversible defeat. Life out of cold death. We saw in Ephesians 2 this morning that all of our life is the workshop of God's grace. And here we see that the dead end is the perfect place for God to work. The dead end is where His resurrection power is brought to bear. God has a track record of working this way, doesn't He? Go all the way back to the One of the early forms of this covenant promise. The promise that was given to Abraham and Sarah. God promised Abraham and Sarah an heir. God promised an heir. And through him the continuation of his generations. Such that he would be the father of many nations. And all families of the earth would be blessed. And his seed would number more than the stars of heaven or the sand of the sea. That was God's promise. But when did the fulfillment come? Not when Abraham and Sarah thought it should come. It only came after they had reached a dead end. The dead end of their advanced age. Hebrews 11 verse 12 says, Therefore sprang there even of one, 
and him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. It was at the dead end that God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots, out of a stump of a seemingly dead house and dead kingdom, a dead end from the rubble and from the ruins comes the promised one. And so that in the first place, what this prophecy reveals about the manner, the way in which the Messiah comes. He comes precisely when it seems all is lost. He rises from the ruins, from the rubble, a branch growing out of a stump. But now secondly, the nature of Messiah's coming, as revealed in our text, is that he will come Small, weak, seemingly insignificant, in a lowly fashion, clothed in humility, despised. And his work, which is the greatest work there is, shall have by all appearances a small beginning, but it will grow. Wax mighty and bring forth much fruit and infallibly accomplish its every goal. This comes out in the word rod. We saw the first aspect of Messiah's coming, the nature of his coming, came out of the word stem, stump. But now the word rod, which is parallel with branch, the word rod could better be rendered a shoot, that is, A sprout, a sprig, a little soft green twig. Now you can visualize it this way in your mind. Think of a a big wildfire that has raced through a forest, perhaps on the west coast. Leaving nothing behind but a charred stump. But then, by the marvelous providence of God, you see that rejuvenation of nature. And you notice coming out of the side or the top of that blackened stump, a tender sprig, a little twig with a couple of fresh leaves upon it. It's so small, it's so weak, it's so insignificant. What is it? In the midst of this blackened scenery, in the aftermath of a forest fire, and yet there it is. Life. There it is, emerging out of the rubble, small, weak, humble. That's the idea here. That's what Jesus is pictured as. That's the Christ. He comes, not the way people would think He would come or want Him to come. Human nature wants Jesus to come at His first coming the way He's going to come at His second coming. With grandeur, with power, with glory, with all of His might being brought to bear in the most extraordinary way. And indeed, His might is brought to bear in the most extraordinary way. In humility, 
meekness, smallness, seeming, insignificance. A soft green twig sprouts from the stump of Jesse. You look at it. You compare it to the the trees of the world. The trees of the mighty kingdoms of this world. The trees of the great philosophies of this world. The trees of the schools of men's thought. The trees of the great political social movements. The trees all around. And carnal estimation says, what is this twig in comparison to this great forest all around? But it is this humble and lowly sprout from the stump that is to grow, grow, and reach up and become the one great tree that stands forever after all others rot from the inside out and are hewn down and cast into the fire. The tree of this king His kingdom begins so small and seemingly insignificant, weak and humble. A sprout from a stump. Connect that back to Isaiah 53 verse 2 that we read a little while ago. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness that we should... Desire that we shall see him, and there is no beauty that we should desire him. That's the coming king. And that would be his work to suffer in lowliness and through suffering reach the heights of glory. Through suffering. Establish his great and mighty kingdom. The promised one we have seen is the Messiah. And now this figure of the branch that emerges from the stump of Jesse has taught us something about the way that the Messiah will come at his first advent. When all seems lost from the rubble and from the ruins. And he will come Small, seeming weak and humble. But now let us conclude by seeing that all of this is fulfilled in one. Fulfilled in one. In the child born of the virgin, whose name is Emmanuel. In the son who is given, who shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the one whose name is Jesus, Jehovah's salvation. You set this text in the light of the New Testament and the revelation of the coming of Jesus and all of the pieces come together, don't they? And you see Jesus here. Jesus is the rod out of the stem of Jesse. Jesus is the branch that shall grow and has grown out of his roots. He is the king who rises from the ruins. And out of the rubble of David's seemingly lost kingdom, Jesus establishes the kingdom of God. 
the incarnation and birth of Christ was the sprouting of the green twig from what looked like the dead chunk of wood that was David's house. Miracle of all miracles. The Word made flesh. And not just any flesh, but receiving His flesh from His human mother, from the Virgin Mary, a descendant of David, so that Jesus was truly of the house of David, truly of the loins of David, as God had promised in 2 Samuel 7, of David's royal lineage, of the stock of Jesse. Truly, He sprang as a sprout from the root of Jesse. Rising from the ruins, what was left? What was left of David's kingdom at the dawn of the New Testament? That kingdom was no more. No descendant of David sat upon the throne. In fact, Israel was under the sovereignty of Rome and Herod the Edomite, a representative of Israel's ancestral enemy, sat upon the throne in Judea. Israel was crushed under the oppressive branches of that canopy of the Roman Empire that was pressing all nations underneath its power. And the royal line of David had become lost in obscurity. In fact, it had come to a dead end. A dead end. In the Virgin Mary. That dead end was the workshop of God. That dead end was where God brought His resurrection power to bear. That dead end, from that seemingly dead stump of the house of David, came forth Jesus to sit upon the throne forever. David's greater son. Those roots the rootstock of Jesse, long buried in the earth, springs with new life. The Savior comes because God keeps His promise. God keeps His promise. And so, a brief application for our encouragement. This prophecy of Isaiah sets before us. Something of a recurring pattern throughout covenant history. Throughout the history of God's people in this world. There are times when God's people. When the church is like a tall tree with outspread branches. And the church from an outward perspective flourishes and prospers. There are times of great peace. And seeming freedom from adversity. Those are good times. And as our catechism wisely instructs us, let us be thankful in prosperity. But also patient in adversity. There are times, many times, throughout the history of God's people, throughout the history of the church, times of great adversity, times of great trial, times of great chastening and refinement, times even when it seems as though the church is like a tree cut down to a stump 
leaving only an unsightly lump of withered wood. And the temptation is to despair. The temptation is to say, what is this thing? There's nothing left of it. There's nothing to be desired in it. It's a lump of dead wood. The text teaches us, no, no. Because the people of God, the church of the living God, ever remains rooted in that greater son of David, the life source. And that life cannot be extinguished no matter how much the enemy, no matter how much the devil, no matter how much sin seems to prevail upon it, no matter how much chopping there is by an axe of chastening, the root in Christ is never uprooted. And even when it looks like there's just a stump left, from the stump springs life. That's the way it was with God's greatest work. The text bids us look at the coming of Christ. Israel was at her lowest. The house of David lie in ruins. And it's then that the king comes. Take heart. Take heart. Be patient in times of adversity. Trust the Lord as He works things out in His way. And don't think that when it looks like we're at a dead end, that it's actually a dead end because the faithfulness of God means there is no dead end for God's people. And the text shows us that. The Christ comes from the ruins of David's kingdom. The Christ springs as a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So make it personal. Sometimes in life we groan under the burdens of our troubles and our hardships. So much so that we can be tempted to just throw in the towel and walk away. God in the Gospel mercifully comes and He says to us what He said to Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Look at Christ. Look how He came. Your dead ends are not dead ends. Your dead ends are where I work wonders. So around Christmas time, Christmas is tomorrow, let us take heart in the Gospel. Whatever your weariness, whatever your trial, whatever troubles you, whether it be in your personal life, whether it be in your family, whether it be in church, fix your eyes on Christ, the branch sprung from the stump of Jesse. Take heart. God is faithful. God preserves. And whatever season of adversity we are in, He will see us through.
We see also from the text that all is fulfilled in Jesus because He is that King who not only came rising from the rubble of David's kingdom, but He came in that lowliness, that meekness, that humility, that seeming weakness that we have pictured in the text. When Jesus was born, and when Jesus lived and walked among us, He was, from many points of view, like a tender twig sprung from a stump. Yes, according to His person, He is God the Son, possessing the entire divine nature in all of its fullness. He is Almighty God, but clothed in our weak humanity, subject to all of the same infirmities that we are, yet without sin. You look at Him. Look at the Christ born in Bethlehem, that helpless baby in the manger, that dependent child in poverty, in the obscurity of Joseph and Mary, no names in that day. Born in the nameless and the fameless Bethlehem, littlest among the thousands of Judah. Look at Him as He begins His ministry. Jesus of Nazareth. A man of no comeliness that we should desire him. Raised up in a town whose very name was a reproach. From which nothing good was ever expected to come. In the backwater of Galilee. Lowly. Humble. The sprouting branch from the stump of Jesse. And that characterizes his whole ministry. He was the humble branch who came In humility to suffer and to save by suffering. To save by being despised. The branch grows from the stump. And Satan, the world, and David's own people conspire together to crush this sprouting branch. And the wonder of it is... The branch from the stump of Jesse grew for that very purpose. To be crushed. He was born. To be cut down. So that the tree might live. So that we might live. So that the kingdom might be established. So that there might be reconciliation between God and His people. So that there might be peace between God and the sinner. So that there might be life everlasting in the covenant and kingdom of God. He came clothed in humility, weak like a sprout from a stump. In order that He might be crushed. Isaiah 53 again. Verse 8 describes that branch from the stump of Jesse this way. He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And it's in that humility, in that weakness, In that suffering, that His power and His greatness is manifest. Out of His own seeming ruin comes His victory. 
When all of the powers of darkness come together to crush the branch from the stump of Jesse on the tree of the cross, it is there on the tree of the cross that he conquered and crushed them. In slaying the Christ, the powers of darkness were slain. And the suffering, the suffering servant destroyed the power of death and the dominion of sin through the shedding of his own blood and laid that immovable, stable foundation of his kingdom. The throne of David returned at Calvary. The Christ who died, crushed like a tender like a tender sprout, was raised again by the power of God with life. He grew, he rose, he ascended into heaven, and now is the exalted Lord, the King, sitting upon the throne of the universe. All of the fruits of his work are born and brought to us by his Spirit. We are made citizens of the new and everlasting kingdom. Under the branches of the tree of Calvary, we find peace. Because of the tree of Calvary, where the branch from the stump of Jesse was crushed, because of that tree, we have shade from the wrath of God. Christ, the branch, from Jesse's stump has become our tree of life into whom we are engrafted. From whom we receive life everlasting. And from whom we can never be separated. What reason we have to celebrate. That's the Christmas gospel. The kingdom has come through Christ. He has accomplished salvation. He has won the victory. Take heart. This is your Savior who came humble and lowly, yet having salvation, accomplishing that salvation. And you are His. You are His. He's coming again. The Prince of Peace is coming again to fully realize that kingdom. He established the first time that he came. Remember his first coming with joy. Look forward to his second coming with hope. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank thee for another beautiful promise and prophecy fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. Cause that these ancient words may give us present comfort and encouragement and awaken fuller joy and peace in Christ Jesus our King. We thank Thee for Him and bless Thee for His salvation. Amen.